You're listening to Plain English Investing with Miles Dillon and Ash Martin. Welcome everyone to Plain English Investing. I'm here as always with my co-host and friend Miles Dillon and today we are going to talk about uh, an amazing book we've been reading. We really enjoyed it, both of us. Um, It's called The Richest Man in Babylon and it's just got some amazing insights in there that has really helped us with our kind of investing and our personal finances. Um, So Miles, Obviously, right now we're we're currently we're on lockdown um, in the UK because um, of the coronavirus. So um, yeah, what, what have you been up to, Miles? Anything interesting? Uh, hey, man, I'm actually able to do like a little bit of work in shutdown, doing some emergency plumbing, but only where I'm not really very close to people. Um, but yeah, I've just been doing stuff at home as well. Um, yeah, I tiled the step of my front door yesterday. You know, the, the step into my front door is like a concrete step. I've sort of oh. tiled it with these nice tiles I had left over. I'm half done. Still got a couple more to do today. But I've just been doing stuff like that, really, just trying to do little jobs around the house and a little bit of work. What have you been doing? Yeah, similar, actually. I've been doing a bit of uh, paving outside and uh, oh, yeah. DIY stuff at home. And, um, yeah, I've been doing, obviously, as much work as we can. And Gemma's business is really busy because it's online. So I've yeah. um, been looking after the children and doing a bit of um, homeschooling. Uh, fortunately... Uh, only year one if it was year two I think I'd be struggling a bit oh my but gosh. year one is, is is not bad yeah well, have you been doing much homeschooling or uh you stay right away <laughs> yeah. um I am today I'm doing you math. Do your plumbing <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm doing you start confusing the children with you. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing a maths lesson today where like we're going to count all the stairs in our house we've got a lot of stairs in our flat like so we're going to count oh, yeah. all the stairs and then add them and take them away because we've got like half flights and full flights you know so we can do that's some math with that yeah, yeah that's my math lesson today it's jokes because i um brave's got one teacher at his school who's um it's called mr devara who's obviously indian and um whenever we pretend to be teachers and stuff i always i'm always chosen to be mr devara <laughs> Go on then, do it. Go on. Do no, Mr. Devara. No, there's no accent. There's no accent really. Oh, okay. Just normally <laughs> you have accents when you do your characters. So yeah, I could do it. Mr. Devara is like me. He's just like not a white guy. Oh, he's, a, he, oh. he's obviously Indian or Sri Lankan, I think. But it's jokes that the kids oh. choose me to be Mr. Devara. And like, you could be Mr. Devara. Um, but I don't think, I think he's like a maintenance guy, so he's not even a teacher, but they don't realise that. Anyway, into the book, don't you think? Um, so the book is good. So the book... Published in 1926. Um, yeah, it's a really good book, actually. I really enjoyed it. And um, it kind of, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a book of parables, stories. Um, and it was originally, I believe it was originally pamphlets that went into banks to help people with investing and to help people with um, their personal finances and saving and stuff like that. And eventually it, was, it became so popular, they, they published it as a book. And I think one of the strongest things about the book is that obviously it's still in print today and it's still really popular today. And it's quite an old book. It was obviously being in 1926, it's, it's nearly 100 years old. Um, and, and I think the theories in that book are timeless. And it, for myself, it's just, it's a book I want my children to read. I'll, I'll pay them to read it when they're older if I have to, but I really want them to read it. I think yeah. it'll be really good for them and their personal finances. What did you think of the book, Miles? Really interested to know how you thought, what you thought about it, your honest opinion. No, no seriously, same as you. Um, I would definitely... 
I would definitely get my children to read it. I'm going to read it to them as a kind of, it's, it's quite, it's quite an interesting story anyway. It's all written in kind of old English language and it's, it's based in Babylon, you know, in like the Middle East and it sounds all quite mysterious. So I think the children will quite enjoy it when they're sort of nine, 10, yeah. 11, 12, maybe not 12, but like sort of eight, nine, 10 as a sort of story rather than a personal finance thing. And then when they get into their late teens and early twenties, I'll be like, you have to read this book. It's important to read this. I also think, I think you said this, if, if not this book, something similar to this, everybody should read it in school. It should be like a school book to read because we teach everybody how to get jobs and how to pass exams, but we teach them to get jobs. They can get paid, but no one knows how to deal with their money. I honestly, I agree with you. I think that everybody should read this. I loved it. I want to implement some of the principles more. I sort of kind of am already, but just reading it has sort of cemented into my mind how important it is to, to manage our money in the way that it says we should. Definitely. I think there's, I mean, it, it starts off with some really simple stuff. I think that the whole book, I think the whole, you probably can summarise it a lot quicker, but it's just nice to have it in a story and in a book. It kind of makes it a bit more yeah. exciting and, and, yeah. and, and, and readable and, and just kind of drums it in. Should yeah. we kind of go into a little bit about the book then? We won't go, we're not going to tell you exactly every page of the book but we've got a few points we brought out of it should we do that yeah so the main thing is just to encourage everybody to read it but if you're not going to read it we'll try and tell you some of the main points from it now do you want to just say like how it's how it's written and the some of the characters in it is that what you're going to do first or yeah so it kind of starts off with um a guy called banzir who's a chariot maker so he's like a tradesman and he's kind of like really works hard and he does a really good job and he's really skilled at what he does, but he hasn't really got anything to show for it. You know, he's just sort of living day to day, um, paycheck to paycheck, if you like. And he has a friend who he grew up with called Arkad and, 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 and Banzir and a few of his mates kind of get together and they're like, how come Arkad has loads of money? How, he, he grew up with us, he, you know, he, he, he did the same schooling as us. How come he's really rich? So they decide to go to Arkad and ask him why, how, how he's so wise and why he's so wise. Um, and Arkad tells him that he, because he, he was a tradesman, he was a scribe in the book. So he, he used to, you know, um, chisel out all the clay tablets. And he, he had a mentor, basically. He found somebody who was rich and he asked them how he, you know, he, the wisdom of becoming rich, really. And I think the main principle in the whole book is, is the number one thing that it kind of really drums in is Algamish taught Arkad to save 10% of what he earns to live off one-tenth, um, sorry, to, to save one-tenth and to live off nine-tenths. So kind of to pay himself first, um, which I thought we could go into a bit more detail in a minute um, because it, it comes back, again, this principle is, comes, comes up, but it's like the number one principle in the book, I'd say, is to yeah. first save 10% of, of, of everything and to yeah. live within your means. The bit that hammered that home for me was when he says 10% of your money is yours to keep. 100% yours. That 10% is totally yours. No one can touch that. But the other 90%, yeah. that belongs to everybody else in society. And the guy is like, what's he called? Arkad. Before he's rich. Arcad, like, yeah. Before he's rich, he says to the, the rich guy who's teaching him, what do you mean it's not mine? He says, well, of that yeah. 90% that you live on, some of that goes to the grocer. Some of that goes to the person who makes your sandals. Some of that goes to the person's house you live in. Some of that goes to taxes, to the king. You know, he says, and then you realize, oh, actually, yeah, 90% of my money, it never ends up being mine. It just leaves my bank or leaves my purse. They always, they've got this stuff they talk about having a jingle in purse the whole time in the book, and they? <laughs> like gold coins. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 
yeah so that that's that to me was like oh yeah okay cool so put 10 percent away keep that save that don't touch it and you always do that first before you spend any of your money and that to me was like oh okay got it that's how you protect your your savings but go on i've interrupted yeah. you there mate but carry on no 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 that's re- that's really cool no that's exactly right um and then that, that and that's such a great principle really that then so obviously he has his 10 percent, and he's, he's he's been good and he saved it for a year and he's decided to make his first invest investment and his first investment he decides to invest it with the brick maker so he gives the money to the brick maker um and, he, and the brick maker goes off and says he's going to invest it for him in some jewels and obviously Algamish, his sort of mentor comes back and says basically calls him an idiot and says what on earth are you doing why are you giving your money to a brick 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 maker would you trust the bread maker about the stars so he's basically saying you're never going to see your money again um and that was kind of his first lesson so he comes again goes off again and you know Arkad's quite determined and he he saves his money for another year and this year he decides okay i'm gonna i'm gonna save my money and i'm gonna invest it with the shield maker and um, who's gonna buy materials and he's going to make shields and then he's going to give me a bit of the profit on top um, and share a bit of the profit with me and that works out really well and he makes some money but he decides to use the money that he was going to invest um, or he decides to use the money that he made to, um, to kind of to buy nice clothes. And he thinks, oh, I've made a bit of money here. I'm going to buy some nice clothes. I'm going to oh, yeah. some nice food and stuff. And then Algamish Al- 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 comes and says, you've eaten the children of your savings, which I thought was a, so he's basically eaten his interest, if you like. Yeah. The money. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that. Um, the book doesn't always tell you directly, do this, this, and this, although there are a few points it makes. But one of the points that it doesn't make, but you just pick up from the, from the story, is that Arkad, when he makes his first investment, completely fails and loses his money. And even though this is written a long time ago, that still happens now. And you hear people saying all the time, oh yeah, I bought shares yeah. in the stock market, but the stock market is just gambling, isn't it? It's basically gambling, and I may as well put money on the horses. And you think, nah, mate, it's not. Just because yeah. you burned your money once and you didn't make a wise investment, it doesn't mean that the stock market is a gamble. Betting on the horses is a gamble because you don't own any yeah. of the horses, do you? But, so you do hear people saying the same sort of thing. So they do it once, they fail, and then after that, they're just like, oh, I'm not going to invest my money anymore. I may as well spend it. But it's cool that he decides I'm going to keep saving again and make a better investment. And round two, he makes a much better investment. And it's, it's really cool, yeah. isn't it? I love, I love the vibe of him. But then also, still, after making a good yeah. investment, completely fails by, instead of building his wealth, he spends it all again on clothes and stuff. So dumb. But eventually, yeah. <laughs> eventually, though, I think he, um, he, he, kind, of, he kind of gets, gets the picture. And, um, maybe, in, maybe if he was around today, he probably would be a plumber, this arcade. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> took him a little bit of a while to like get it but eventually he gets it and he becomes the richest man in Babylon so he gets his gold tooth which is good and he um <laughs> so it's good he, he um that is actually quite a good point in this is that all the people in the story are craftsmen or tradesmen or something of that nature they're not like high earners anyway which is the hopefully all the people who are listening to this podcast are in that kind of category as well. We're not expecting you to be listening to this if you earn 500 grand a year because you probably make enough money you don't even care about investing. But the, the people in this story are all normal earners. They have normal incomes. Uh, that's, that's like a really lovely way of like understanding the story as well is that you don't need a lot of money to be able to become rich. And that's kind of the vibe of our podcast as well, isn't it? That we're not big earners. 
and then we're going to be sort of no. trying to work out how to how to make money out of the small amount of money that we earn it's making the most of what you've got i guess yeah and, yeah. and, and learning by gold multiplier i i guess i mean so arcade eventually he actually becomes the richest man in babylon um mm. you know through his through through this and, and through this advice um and, and the king at the time realizes that the gold in the area is all going to a few people that there's a few rich you know there's a couple of percent of the most richest people and they they're holding all the gold um and 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 other people are quite poor in the area so he kind of summons arcad to come and talk to him uh and find out a bit more about what arcad knows and he decides to let arcad rather than kind of take arcad's money away from him he decides to um get arcad to teach the nation how to become rich or how to become wealthy and he come and so, so basically they all meet so he gets 100 men into um room uh, into a room unfortunately it's quite um male centric isn't it at the time i think yeah, this was written in 1926 so we kind of have to comment on that but <laughs> all the men met into one room and there was um i think 100 of them and he he basically gives his, his advice and he comes up with seven cures of a lean purse Yes, yeah, so we're getting. To, we thought we'd summarise those. One number one was start thy first fat thing. Just before you, just before you jump into the off. seven things, mate. Yeah. Can we just say like when um, both of us, because uh, I'm a bit dumb, I didn't really understand the the context of the book. I thought this was a real yeah. story. <laughs> I genuinely, I thought like, hang on a sec, have they found some scrolls? Because there is some stuff later on in the book about finding some scrolls or whatever, and then, but it's all. Yeah. I think it's all fabricated to like make it into the mystery of the story. But I genuinely yeah, was reading this book thinking, oh man, this is like 4,000 years old, this book, and they've managed to find it. But <laughs> I don't think it is. So when he's like describing all these things, yeah. I'm like really imagining like what's actually happening in those times. And they're making yeah. shields and sandals and stuff. And they've got all these tradesmen who are like working at the temple, carrying up goat skins of water. Like, did you think it was a real story as well? I still think it is a real story. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of it reads as a real story. Um, I, I knew that they were parables, but I thought they had actually found the tablets that describe these stories um, and that they'd written them in them. Because Babylon was a rich nation at one point. It was the richest in the, in the world, potentially. Yeah, you know, that's what historians would say. Um, you know, they've discovered a lot when they dug it up to, to suggest that they were very wealthy. So I kind of believed it, that they found these tablets and, and, um, and they, they kind of decoded them. Yeah, so doing, after doing a bit of research and stuff, I kind of figured out that, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't real, which was a shame. It kind of broke my heart a bit because I yeah. really thought, this is great, they found this tablet. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to just do you crack into the seven, the seven, what is it? Seven things of a lean purse. The, the seven cures to a lean purse. Okay. Um, and it kind of starts out by saying, start thy purse to fattening, um, which basically archive instructs the men to continue working hard and to save 10% of everything that you earn. Um, which is kind of, we've kind of gone on, we've already said that point already. Um, yeah. Arkad teaches teach them rule number one um, for what he learned. Um, we go on to rule number two, is control thy expenditures. Mm. So to live within our means, basically. Yeah. And, it, and like you were saying, it doesn't matter what you earn. I think if you earn, if you've got one man earning 100, you know, one person earning 100, thousand a year and then you've got one person earning ten thousand a year but the person who's earning ten thousand is saving ten percent of everything they're earning and then reinvesting it who's yeah. actually going to be richer um yeah. who's going to have the most money that's the thing yeah 
you yeah. know, when you're saying about, you know, that rich person, you know, 500,000 a year or whatever, doesn't care, but they're probably blasting all that money and enjoying their lives, you know, with all that money and not saving a penny of it. And then sure. there's someone who might be sure. earning 10,000 a year. And there's a lot of millionaires who have been literally single women, um, you know, single mothers, particularly, who've been really clever at this. I've heard, I've read loads of stories about it. There's, there's a couple in The Slight Edge, a book called The Slight Edge, and they've actually become millionaires from doing this, from saving. And, you know, they've had to raise a family on their own as well. And it's amazing. It is possible. Yeah. No, but I agree. There's, um, there's a bit later on in the book, which is saying, um, actually, inheritance can be a curse or just ending up with winning money can be a curse. Because you either, if you don't learn to control your expenditures, if you end up with like, you know, inheriting a million pounds or winning a million pounds, you either end up being completely tight, like so, so tight, because you're aware of the fact that you have no way of replenishing that money. You know that you can't make that money. Yeah. So you're scared of like losing it. So you basically don't spend and you're just a real tight ass. Or you go the other way and you overspend, you completely blow it. And then you end up being back in the same place you were for. And I, I actually know yeah. someone who used to work for my dad um, as an air conditioning fitter, won the lottery, mate, like won like 4.6 million or something. This is like 20 years ago wow. or more. 20, won that much I remember going to the party that he threw, you know, at, at, at the new house that he bought. And it was bonkers, mate. Like it was like being at—I a, a, don't know what kind of party it was. It's like being on in, on TV or something in some one of those stupid parties. But, mate, no joke. Six years later, only six years later, he was back working for my dad. No, he, yeah, wow. he still had the house and like a couple of cars, but he had no income. And I think you know, eventually, poor guy. Like it didn't really go that well for him, but he lost the house and the cars and like drinking and gambling. Nothing, mate. And I think don't think he'd even work for my dad anymore because he was in such a mess. But he was working for my dad six years later. That's just like a prime right. example of like if you don't learn to control your expenditure, there's no point even trying to save your money really because you're just going to blow it. It will just control you, I guess. That's what it will be. Yeah, you know, you have to control it. Um, and and it, and I think they kind of talk about it in the book that you know you can do it. Like loads of people will say, oh, but I've got my Netflix bill coming out. I've got this out. I've got that out. I've got to get my coffees in the morning. Yeah. You know, um, I'm the same. I like my luxuries, but I suppose it's going without a few things. Like not everything, you still have luxuries, but it's going, yeah. maybe choosing a few things that can go and, yeah. and making sure that you've got this 10%. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's not always easy to do. And, you know, I read this book a year ago and I was thinking, am I putting 10% away? You know, not, not, not really, not regularly, not mm. regularly enough. And, um, and it's really kind of convicted me to get on with that and do that. Mm. Should we go on to rule number three? Yep, the third cure. Uh, so the third cure is to make thy gold multiply. So then obviously um, Arkad actually talks about sort of lending the money out to get a return on it. That's kind of where he goes with it. But it's kind of, it's investing the money, isn't it? Which we kind of touched on last week a bit. And mm. we're def this is what this podcast is all about really, is how we can, you know, how us sort of common lads can make some cash on our investments and our savings. Yeah, I... Um that's key and that's actually really if you can nail the other things like how to save how to control your expenditure the next thing is how to learn how to invest which is i think probably the most difficult thing and actually requires the most time the other stuff is just like it's a crunch on you to be able to it's a lifestyle change but the next thing how to invest your money is yeah I mean, there are easy ways of doing it which obviously through this podcast we're going to chat about and try and tell people about but it is there's no two ways about it, it is a bit tricky like there you've got to learn that that then comes on to the fourth cure, mm. 
which is guard thy treasure from loss, which is probably the main the yep. main thing about investing. It's not about trying to make huge returns. It's about not losing your principal investment, like your gold that you've saved up, the money you've saved up. What is the point of saving that money and changing your lifestyle if you're just going to lose it on some wild investment that you're never going to get your money back, let alone the interest? Definitely. I mean, to quote Warren Buffett again, I think we did this last week, but it's so good. It's good to drum this in. Rule number one, he said there's two rules. Rule number one, don't lose your money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And yeah. I just love that. It's just like so good. And it's like you really need to remember, we need to remember that when we invest. We're so careful with our money. Yeah. And um, it can be so easy to go and you know, buy a property or do this, do that. But yeah. you need to guard your money as well. I'm, I'm quite right. interested in the, in the next one, the fifth cure. Let's see what we, maybe we could just talk about it a bit because it's so ingrained into, um, especially in the UK's yeah. mindset. Um, the, yeah. the, the, the fifth one is make thy dwelling a profitable investment. It doesn't really definitely translate as that, but it basically saying own your own house. We both own our own houses. We're like both pretty fortunate to be in that position. But I can understand that this one is a bit of a bit of an odd one for for now these days because he kind of is talking in early 1920s America where you could buy a piece of land and build a house for like basically nothing really. I mean, it's, it's not a big deal. But I guess now, yeah. is that rule still as applicable as it was back then, do you think? Or is it more important to save and invest and one day buy a house if you live in an area where housing like we do in the south where housing is very expensive yeah. is it better to carry on renting control your expenditure save 10 percent, and then is that your first investment goal to buy a house or is your first investment goal to be investing in other things that produce better returns because to be honest even i know and you know owning my house like it, it probably is going to go up in value but it it costs mm. me money all the time i'm always doing repairs on my house i'm always like fixing things or improving things it definitely is not a great investment although it is a lovely place mm. to live but that is one of the things he does say is he's like you do need a nice place to live it's good to have a house where you feel comfortable and your family are happy because then it just takes a lot of pressure off every other area of your life i don't know what do you think about that I think it's really interesting what you're saying, Miles, because obviously you're bringing up, you're, you're kind of questioning this one and you're bringing up a topic that is kind of controversial because there are a lot of two minds on this. It's, uh, but for us in the UK, our age group, we grew up with our parents, who I did, with my parents drumming into me. And I think it came from Margaret Thatcher. And it's like, own your own home. And Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister um, of the UK. Um, and it was real. She really pushed own your own home, didn't she? And I kind of yeah. gather that's where this come from. And yeah. it's, we have to be careful that we're not, I suppose, brainwashed into thinking that that is the best way to go. But yeah. for me, I can't see any other way. I, I, I have to say, I think it is the most the most sensible thing to own your own home. But I guess what you're saying is, is if you can't afford to own your own home right now, I would rent, but I'd rent somewhere really sensible. Yeah. And I would not go and find the biggest house. I'd squash myself into a smaller house and I'd save my 10% um, and I'd invest it to get the money to buy a house personally. That's what I would do because now I feel like actually no, my, my expenditure of my house is a lot less than what I pay on rent. I pay, interest rates are so low. Um, uh, you know, I think I'd pay double what I pay if yeah. I, you know, what my mortgage and stuff and my maintenance stuff, I guess. Although I, we spent quite a bit of money on our house. Um, and I suppose that's our own personal choice. We didn't have to do that, but we decided yeah. we wanted to make it nice. Um, yeah. So we did spend that money on it. Go on, I was just going to ask you a question, actually. Do you think every landlord in the UK is losing money then? Landlord or homeowner? Landlord. No. Because you're saying you think it's better to rent, or you're saying it could be an option. 
No, I don't think landlords are losing money because if you own a house that you're renting out to someone, you're renting it for at least double probably what the mortgage is. And as long as you're not a dumbass and you're not like spending all of the income you're getting from a rental, then you're going to be saving enough money to cover the maintenance of that house that someone's living in and also to pay the mortgage and probably a bit of profit. But I think owning your own house and living in your own house is a different thing. Like I probably what I feel like the problem is, is when I hear people talking about, I mean, people are obsessed. I was at my allotment the other day and I could hear someone talking about their house as if it was some kind of like a stock that they could just liquidate right now because it's gone up in value so much or they did a lot conversion yeah. and, and their house True. has gone up in value. They were like, Oh, it's gone up from this much to this much. And they were saying, Oh, the neighbor's house is for sale. And I, I know you could buy it and spend a hundred grand on a loft conversion. It would be worth 150,000. I was like, that's fine that you're saying that if you're able to buy mm. that house as an asset or an investment, but if you buy the house and you live in it, how are you going to realize that investment? You, you can't, it's illiquid because you have to sell that house and then you yeah. can't, you can't get your kids to school. Where are you going to live? Like you're going to be somewhere far away. It's, it's, I think the problem with this, um, sixth, fifth rule, you know, make your house a profitable investment. I think I would disagree slightly and say that your house is a place to live and to be comfortable. If it goes up in value, that's great. But everyone else's houses have gone up in value as well. So you're no better off. The only way you're better off is if you, own another house which is which is an investment that you can buy and sell and do what you like very true yeah, yeah. that's what that's I what i think about this this rule i guess what i think is a lot of us these days particularly especially in the uk are on repayment mortgages i think you kind of have to now i don't know yeah. my dad my dad wasn't but i think you have to be now these days um and you know i think so by the end when you retire at least you've got somewhere to live and you're not paying rent anymore because you've actually got yeah. somewhere to live yeah, but then I suppose you could have used that money on in investing, but then you would have had to spend that same money on renting anyway. Yeah. Personally, my 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 my, my take on it is, I think you should own your own house. I, I can't see the other way, but I I know that I've been brainwashed into believing that because it's what our parents really drummed into us. I don't know about yeah. you. Did your parents yeah. drum it into you? Well, yeah, yeah. My family are Indians, and they're really into like you know, all the, all the Indians that I know are land, well, they're not all landlords, but it's something in the Indian community is very strong on home ownership and um, buy to let rentals. Very, very strong. Like all my uncles own buy to lets. So it was in my childhood growing up, it was very in my mindset, get your own house, then use your house to like leverage your investment to be able to buy a buy to let property. Um, Yeah. Which I guess is what I've done as well. But it probably is i can probably look back at my investment journey and think i could have made better investments in other areas like the stock market or in companies that i thought were going to grow other than housing but the benefit is that i'm now in a house that my family are happy in i'm comfortable in and i'm not stressed about needing to move to a bigger place or rent a bigger place so yeah i like anyway that's I, I think it's good to own your own house but not at the expense of making a poor investment into a house which is you know, more expensive than you can afford or not really exactly. a nice place to live, I think. I think that's the key thing as well. I was thinking exactly the same. I was thinking, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a house and go and buy the biggest house on the street and, and, and stretch yourself on your mortgage to, to the limits and like then you're then you are that isn't sensible. Yeah. Um you know, yeah. and I think that's kinda of, it's being sensible about it too. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, could your children share a room, things like that and go a yeah. bit smaller. Yeah, you know, go on. Enough about houses. We're obsessed with houses in the UK, so people will like that. But so, so six years ensure a future income. I think this is kind of talking about pensions and stuff, isn't it? And 
you know a bit about sort of um having good insurances i guess as well and being careful and sensible in that respect yeah i guess for me this is um and especially from yesterday doing the tiling that I was saying on my front doorstep, my back is a little bit sore today because it's just like bending over constantly doing tiling. And I've got a bit of a, it's, it's fine, but I can just see, God, when I'm 50, do I really want to be doing that sort of thing? And I, well, I probably will still do a little bit of tiling in my house, but do I really want to be doing plumbing when I'm 60 or 50? Mm. Not really. Yeah. You know, I need to ensure a future income for myself so I don't have to like be doing backbreaking work when I'm an old man. Yeah, exactly. That, that's kind of what I'm taking away from that. Unless you have a nice cushy desk job where you can just sit there and get paid. But still, you know, you need to ensure something for when you're old because you might lose your marbles as well and then you've still got a family to look after. Definitely. And um, yeah, so then that kind of leads us nicely on to number seven, which is increased liability to earn. Um, which is kind of talking mainly about I kind of got from it that it's kind of bettering yourself and like learning and, and education and stuff and, yes. and that's something that I personally love and have st- I just got the bug for it um, yeah. you know reading books listening to books listening to podcasts it's something I love to do what about you Miles? Um, yeah because yeah, I, I reread this the last couple of days that made me just think actually as a gas engineer as a plumber there's a lot of stuff that I don't know about boilers or about um you know when i'm doing boiler servicing i was thinking i'm i know i'm doing like a pretty good job on this but there's no industry standard for boiler servicing sorry this is quite boring plumber chat but this is what the book has encouraged me to think this maybe i should um i was thinking i might call my mate who's an older plumber and ask him if i could do like a couple of days just working with him just to see how he services boilers because i got a feeling that he might do like a bit more of a thorough job than i do but I thought maybe I should just take a day or two just to learn a bit from somebody else because I haven't done that for a while. Yeah. That's encouraged me. What about you? Oh, you've said about reading podcasts and everything like that. But... Yeah, I love to read and, um, more recently than ever and, um, and just learn as much. And I, I, I also, um, I used to sort of go on this, there's a site called lynda.com and there's a few others out there where you can learn computer skills as well. Like you can learn to do coding and things like that, which can oh. really help. It's really, that really helped us with Gemma's business because you know she's got an online e-commerce business and that's really helped us to build the whole website we built it from learning coding and we built it from scratch really, really? pretty much um you know using other platforms but we you know we built our own theme and stuff using sort of php and that was all from learning stuff online and and yeah that's really that's definitely helped us earn more money like that's like exactly what you're saying i think um warren buffett says again not to want to quote him too much but he says although he's a great great individual really no he I'm, says i love warren more, i'm gonna put a picture of him up in my office up here on the on the are you ready? So, yeah i am i'm like bang on it go on so don't stop warren buffett quotes yeah. me so he says um i believe it comes from him but he says the more you learn the more you earn and the yeah. more you read the more you lead is um it's something i've been drumming into my children as well they, they know that quote um the more you what, the more you lead head. the more you read the more you lead the more you read, the more you lead, mm. and the more you learn, the more you earn. Mm. And I kind of be drumming into the children, but I've added my own little bit at the end that says, um, "The more you have, the more you can give." Because I don't want them just to think that, yeah. you know, that all the, you know, just be greedy about it. So I've taught them that too. Um, I'll just, I'll just chuck in my um, Warren Buffett quote in the same area as well. Is actually, um, sorry, no, it's actually Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire Hathaway. Um, yeah. Someone was asking him about, oh, because Charlie Munger's older than Warren, I think. 
I think yeah, Charlie Munger yeah. like 96 and, or something like that. And Warren is like 80, isn't he? 80, yeah, I think he's five. in his late 80s. And, yeah. Um, yeah, Charlie's in his mid-90s. Mid yeah, so Charlie's a bit older. And they said, aren't you guys a bit old to be um, you know, still making the big calls on the second, you know, the, one of the largest companies in America? And Charlie said, actually, you know, Warren is a learning machine. And if it wasn't for Warren being a learning machine, we would be in a difficult place right now. But actually, Warren Buffett in his 80s is better than Warren Buffett has ever been in his 70s or 50s or 40s. Or, you know, so he's saying, actually, yeah. as long as his mind is still working properly, Warren Buffett is better now than he's ever been because he is constantly reading and constantly learning. Yeah. I mean, people pay millions now to have a lunch with him. He does it for charity once a year, I think. Yeah. Around the birth halfway um, yeah. yearly stuff let's um, do that mate we need to try and like get that lunch i'll go hard with you on that and you know what it's actually a question that comes up quite a lot if you had a million pounds would you spend would you would you what would you do with it would you and you could either go to lunch with warren buffett or you could keep it what would you do can you split it no uh-huh difficult if you ask me in 10 years time when we're running a much larger company then maybe it would be yeah. Actually, let's drop that on lunch with Warren. Yeah. But now, right now, I think we could buy, we could put deposits on 10 properties with that or five properties and have half a million in the stock market. Now we could yeah. do a lot with that stuff. And then, so yeah, it's a, that's a difficult question. But I reckon in 10 years time, when we're at a stage where we're like, we need to level up, I reckon lunch with Warren Buffett. Okay, mate. So there's just two more things we want to talk about in the book before we finish. Um, one of them is to do with debt, which I know for... A lot of people can be a problem. I've also had some debt in my life before, which I've had to pay yeah. off. Oh my gosh, I've had some debts, some parking ticket debts, which I, which just chased me around. I kicked them down the road and they, they ruined me financially. Yeah, man. I, I got parking tickets like all over London when I was younger. And I was so dumb. I just like kept avoiding them. This is actually quite a funny story. I kept avoiding them. And um, eventually my dad called me one morning and was like, boy, it was so early in the morning. I was in bed, boy got your mum's car on the back of a truck with a clamp on and i was like <laughs> are you joking he was like no what are you gonna do and i was like ah oh, how much do they want and it was a big amount of money for me then and i was like i said to my dad can you do it can you write it for me and he was like yeah so my dad had to write a check for the bailiff right there give it to them and then i had to pay my dad back and then they took my mum's car off the back of a tow truck because I, yeah, because I was so dumb at managing my debts. And me and Bex had just got married. I used to be in this band that um, I got paid about £100 a day to, to do music in this band. And I think I'd done about 12 days or something like that of a tour. And I just got paid for it. I pretty much had to put the whole tour amount on my debt to my dad. I could make any money. Anyway, so that's just a story of how dumb I am. And also to lead into talking about debt and how this book helps you know, talks about debt and encourages people to deal yeah. with their debts. Will we be hearing lots of stories about how dumb you are? <laughs> May. <laughs> there are plenty in the, there are plenty. I don't want to, don't want to drop them all in one podcast. I'll save them. Is it because you're a plumber? Sorry, no, I'm just <laughs> There's a bit of banter between plumber and electrician just for the audience. Um, there always is on site. Cool. Yeah, go on. Say about the, 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 what he says about debt in the book. So I love this bit, one of the most, because I think that debt is, um, it's something that a lot of people are struggling with. I think a lot of us live outside of our means, not let alone within our means. I think we do like to, to get credit cards and stuff and, and get stuff now rather than wait for it. 
um, later. Um, and, and sometimes that can spiral completely out of control where we really are struggling to pay back our debts. So he comes up with a really good um, concept in the book that I think would really work today as well. And basically he says to get all your debtors together or, 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 or go and see them actually face to face and say to them, look, I, I'm going to manage my finances in, in this structure now. And he says, let's have two tenths of everything I earn can be divided up to my, so 20% of everything you earn can be divided to your debts to pay your debt stuff. One tenth is for my investing and to be upfront with them that you're going to do that, that you're going to put 10% away for investing and then you're going to live off 70, which is going to be difficult, but you're going to cut all your expenses down to the bone. And there's a story in the book about this guy who's even, not even eating nice food, you know, he's basically on baked beans um, uh, and, and, and really not eating well or anything. But he's really, eventually things get better and eventually slowly his debt's paid off and he pays everybody off. And I just thought it was such a good structure and I think it would really work today. If anyone's in debt, go to them and speak to them, even if it is the credit card companies or anything. Most of us on secured debt, they probably, like you were saying, we were chatting about this yesterday, Miles, weren't we? And you were saying, like, I think most people, their common goal is they want their money back, don't they? Yeah. And if you've lent money to someone, they want their money back. And so they are going to listen to you about how they're going to get their money back. So yeah. whoever it is, I think you can do something. Um, yeah. No, I, I think so, even now it's like, even though in the book he's talking about going directly to a person, like the, the, the guy who he owes rent to and the person who he borrowed leather from or whatever. Like, I think even now, even though we're dealing with like large companies that you own your debt, that you owe your debt to like a credit card company or whatever. I think that what well, I know and I understand, or I've heard that it is possible to go to those people and ask for a restructuring of your debt and show them, this is what I'm going to be paying. And most places, and there are organizations that can help you. Most places will understand that, that, you know, if, if there's a way that they can get their money back, even if it's a bit slower than what they originally anticipated, they would definitely go for that option rather than you defaulting on your debt, not being able to pay it back at all. So he's saying, still, when you're paying your debts back, live on less, take 10% for yourself and pay your debts back as fast as you can. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's a really good concept. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm sure there are organizations out there. Maybe we should put some links in the show notes. If anyone's listening yeah. to this who's really in debt, maybe there are some organizations also that can help you. Yeah. And we'll, we'll dig those out for you and put them in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and then, so then it goes on to talk a little bit about luck is this it's kind of there's a chapter in there called goddess of good luck or a section in there called goddess of good luck and i think a couple of the guys they kind of challenge arcade and say is this a bit of luck and i think basically the answer is no this is you know you might get opportunities that might seem like luck but it's taking those opportunities and, and riding them and going for them there's some basketball coach who's saying when we train hard and we like push to the edge on our training i don't know who he is some nba coach or something um when we push hard and train hard we get lucky more often yeah but when we don't train and we don't push hard our luck seems to dry up so it's kind of saying like there could be an element of luck but if you're always on the cusp of of pushing yourself your own ability then you feel like you're getting some lucky breaks but when you don't try and you don't go for it and you're not really working hard then your luck seems to kind of dry up a little bit so i you know Few few things I I think are sort of lucky breaks or being in the right place at the right time. But you've got to be in the right place. Like if you're not trying to make like a big property deal with somebody and meeting the right person, then you're never going to get those deals, are you? So it, you could say it's lucky, but you could say it's like fifty. No, definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, so how has this this book implemented and um, sort of impacted your life? Have, 
has how's it kind of like have you implemented anything from the book miles as anything in particular you're going to take away from it um i think the main thing for me is the 10 percent thing like i've always um saved but it's always been out of like it's not been first like i've always saved but it hasn't always been the first thing that i take out of my pay it's normally the last thing i take out of my pay once I've paid tax, once I've put enough in my bank to make my bank look like we've got enough to live for that month. Um, and then I think, is there enough to save? Or after I've saved for a hot, put a bit in the holiday fund, then is there enough to put into my investment savings account or whatever? But it's actually made me realize we, all, we can always live on whatever's in our bank. Like if there's money in our bank, we'll, we can just spend what there is there. And if there's none left, then we don't spend anything. Or as we get low, then we start spending less or whatever. But I, for me then, sorry to answer your question, is I'm going to revert a little bit more back to taking, as soon as I get paid from someone, taking 10% out for myself and putting 20% away for tax. And then the rest of it goes into our spending account. And then after that, I can decide if I'm going to put a bit of money in for holiday or whatever. So that for me is the impact this book has had on me. Um, what about you? Yeah, I think I think all of it really. But the, the, one of the main things, actually, at the time I remember reading it, that I really took away was guard thy treasures from loss, because it, you know, I was really we we're really seriously thinking about property at that point, mm. and um, and I was so I decided to I read a few more books about property, and I went away and I um I built a spreadsheet that kind of had a, a, a loads of checklists and. A sort of analytics on the property to make sure it was a good deal and to make sure that we were safe and in and, and, and buying that property. I mean, obviously, you never 100% said there's an element of risk um, in all investing, I would have thought. But, um, you know, I wanted to try and make it so that as, as much as possible I was guarding from risk. And it's made me think about surveys on properties, things like that, to make sure we get the best surveyors over to look at the properties before we buy them so we're not buying a load of rubbish yeah. and stuff like that is what I've really been kind of thinking about is how to guard 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 thy treasures from loss probably my biggest takeaway from the book great yeah so um i think that's all we got for this week everyone but hopefully that's been helpful and with um if you if you want to rate and subscribe um, we'd love you to just to encourage us to carry on doing these and yeah um, we'll have more for you next week listening to plain english investing the straight up investment podcast uncomplicated chat about how to manage your money savings and finances we hope you enjoyed this episode please rate and subscribe this podcast is for entertainment purposes only its content does not constitute financial advice you should seek help from a professional before making financial decisions thanks for listening 